do the end times scare you? Right, if we're honest, I mean, multiple people this week came up to me and were like, hey, Pastor Blake, I'm really excited for this, but I'm actually really scared for this at the same time, right? Because when I've opened up the book of Revelation, it, it, I don't really know what's going on. There's dragons and beasts and, and tribulations and all of these things. Like, I don't really know what that means. And then, and then I also watched the Left Behind series, and I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to be, like, I don't take Ubers now because I'm afraid the Uber driver's going to go, and here I go. And then I'm like, well, why weren't you going? Some of you didn't catch that yet. All right, that's all right. Don't tell you, don't explain it, okay? Don't explain your neighbor. We'll, we'll get into it in the series but here's the reality. I think a lot of us, the last book of the Bible, we avoid. We avoid it because it's like, I can't understand it. And if I'm honest, it actually scares me. And to be honest with you, I don't want us to see this series on the book of Revelation as anything to be afraid of, right? If we believe like that God wrote this letter to you and I in love, perfect love casts out all fear. And so for you and I, as we go into the series and we look at what God is going to say to us, I really want us to remove fear around this book. Because honestly, uh, spoiler alert, if you've never opened the Bible before, you're going to hear the best part and you're going to know the end of the story. A couple, uh, last night actually, Kelsey and I were watching this show on Disney. And this is how I think about the book of Revelation. We were watching this show and it's called Behind the Attraction. And it kind of goes into all of these different rides at theme parks and things like that. And it tells the story behind how they create these rides. And the one that I watched yesterday was on the Tower of Terror. <laughs> right? And I was like, that could be a name for Revelation, the Tower of Terror, right? For some of us. But then when you get into it, they go into all the mechanics of how they built this ride. And you get into it, and it's as you're understanding everything that goes behind it, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors, one. And two, like, it removes all of the fear. And as I was watching that episode last night, I remember, I can't remember how long ago it was, but I was on a ride, and I was freaked out in this ride. And has anyone ever been on a ride? You're like on, on the water boats. I don't know why you're always in water that's electrified, but you are in these rides, right? And so... I remember the ride stopping. Anyone ever been on a ride that stops? And you're like, oh, I'm so scared. <laughs> this ride was already scary, and now I think we're going to die. I think I'm going to get electrocuted by the water. And I'm like the one that tests the water. I'm like, what, what happens? And so uh, eventually, what they came on on the loudspeakers. And you know, it's kind of so long, you're getting nervous. And I was like, okay, the ride's already scary. I'm already nervous, and now th this isn't going the way that it's supposed to go. And so what they said is, is they got over the loudspeaker. They said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're so sorry to inform you, but we're having trouble with the ride. I'm like, obviously, right? And they, so what they did is in the ride, they turned all the lights on. And they said, you don't need to get out. We're going to move the, the boats back to the beginning of the ride. We really apologize. There's some things we have to fix, but we got to turn on all of the lights. And so I got to finish the ride with all of the lights on. And as I was going through, you really realize how not scary these rides are when the lights are on. You kind of, you're like, oh, I see that guy coming. I see that, that that isn't really this. I can see that that was supposed to jump out at us. I can see all of these things. All this looks so fake now because I turned the lights on. And what I realized is the moment that the lights were turned on, my fear went away. That is the book of Revelation. Revelation is God turning on the lights for the future. 
God is saying, look, like, there's some things that you're going to deal with, but I'm, I'm revealing this to you. I'm turning on the lights for you so that you can know what is coming and how you and I can live this way. And so I think many of us have been deceived to think that revelation is like God turning the lights out. But it's really God turning the lights on and saying, hey, as believers, as my children, I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared and I want to remove all fear. I want you to be okay. And so I'm going to graciously tell you what is going on. Now, as we get into this, we're going to ask questions like, so why is there so much mystery? Why are things so poetic? Why isn't all of this so clear? Like, why didn't God say in 2023, this is going to happen and get ready? Because how many of us would live like any way that we wanted to until 2023? Isn't it the grace of God that he would say, yes, I'm going to tell you, but not in full detail because you need to be ready at all times. Because I'm not just not about getting you to heaven. I'm about your holiness. And so as we look into the book of Revelation, uh, let's get into some background, right? We're going to Bible nerd out in this book because the reality is there's a lot to nerd out on, okay? So the very first thing is when we look at it, the, it's called apocalyptic literature. This is its own form of literature, very unique in how you deal with it. But that word apocalyptic comes from a word which means to unveil. Right, so when we say that revelation is, and by the way, I just want to help everybody in the room. It's not revelations. There's no S on the end. It's revelation. It's one thing. When I'm out in the hall, people are like, we're going into revelations. And I kind of like, for just for a second, I kind of, yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, so there's a lot of them. Uh, and so, <laughs> so if you say that, you're embarrassed, but you should be. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> But the book of Revelation is this book where the author intends to say, hey, this is what God's doing. He's unveiling what is to happen here. And you have to understand the book of Revelation within the context of the entire Bible, right? Because this is one book made up of many books, correct? Here's a way to think about it. It's one book with many chapters. And so what happens is, is this is one, the Bible is one unique, complete story for you and I to understand. Now, we have to understand this as well. In the book of Revelation, John, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to be tying a very nice bow around the Bible. In fact, Revelation has 278 references of the 404 verses in the Old Testament. Like, like 278 verses within Revelation of the 404 total in the book of Revelation go back to the Old Testament. So there's this intentional aspect of this book going, hey, this is one story. And God is tying the Old Testament and all of the hope of what was going to happen and saying, Revelation is the fulfillment of so many of these things. And we need to understand this isn't a new story. It's just the end of the same story. Because here's what I want us to understand. Revelation is this anchor point, this end on the bow, right? Like some of you have been in series and shows and the ending is terrible. This leaves nothing for us to really understand and know like a cliffhanger. Like we know where we will be. We know what will happen. We know all of these things. And so Revelation, I want to help us break this down because I think if you know where you are in the story, it will help you know what's actually happening. 
And so Revelation is broken down into three main sections. And the first thing is the things seen. This is what John begins to see in heaven, right? This is what, what he begins to, this is how the revelation begins. Then the second part as we get into chapter two is the things that are. This is where you and I are going to get into the seven churches of Revelation, right? And we're going to understand what God is saying to these seven churches and what he's going to refer to them as seven spirits. Now, for you and I are going to think about, well, are those words for just those churches? No, I think you and I can have those spirits in our own life. We can identify with those churches because how does a church get a spirit of something? It's the spirit of the people in the church. So this word uh, from God is not to us, but it is for us. Does that make sense? And so one thing we have to be very careful about, because some of us are like, hey, I heard there's locusts in the book of Revelation. I think those might be Apache helicopters. (laughs) The thing is, is it can't mean now what it could not have meant then. Does it make sense? That's good hermeneutics. The Bible can't mean now what it could not have meant then. So we want to be as faithful as possible because how kind of rude and unkind would it be for God to tell people things that they could not even comprehend in their own day? So we have to understand the book in that light. We have to look at what is happening. And then Revelation chapter 4 all the way to 22 verse 1 is the things to come. Right, is the things for us to begin to understand. This is where we get the battle of Armageddon. This is where we get the tribulation. This is where we get the beast. This is where we get the mark of the beast. All of that stuff is future telling. Now, a lot of people, because we don't get to the Antichrist for a very long time, ask me, you know, do you think this person is the Antichrist? Do you think this, 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 this? Do you think AI is going to be the Antichrist? I don't really know because I believe this. God knows the end of the story. Satan does not know when it is going to happen. So Satan has always had to have an Antichrist ready. He's always had to have one ready. Why? Because he doesn't know the story. I mean, he knows how it plays out. He knows that he's going to come against God. He knows he's going to bring the spirit of the age that is going to deceive many people, but he doesn't know when that is. So he has to have somebody ready all the time. So is the Antichrist here? Yes. Was he here 50 years ago? Yes. Was he here a thousand years ago? Yes. It's like he wasn't turned on though. And so you and I need to understand as we look through all of this, that God has the story prepared And you and I need to be ready for what he is going to say. So when is this all going to happen? If we look back in the Bible to Matthew chapter 23, if you have a Bible with you, turn there. Jesus gives us a little bit of an insight about what the end days are going to look like. And here's what he does. Matthew 23 verses 32 to 43. If you don't have a Bible with you, just listen to this. It says this. Go ahead and then compete with all the ancestors have started. Jesus begins to tell the disciples all of these things. And at the end of the book, he says this. He uses the imagery of a fig tree. And this is what Jesus says. You and I know what is coming, the season, which is summer, is coming, when the fig tree begins to sprout its new leaves. So Jesus says, look, you and I know the season that is to coming because there are signs that we're heading into summer. This is what he says. The fig fig tree will sprout new leaves. And so he says this, and so it is with the end times. And so for you and I to understand this, we need to understand one thing. I cannot tell you when it is going to happen. And if someone guesses, it's not going to be that day. Because no one knows the day or the hour. 
when this will begin. So if you got people that are, are like using all of this math and trigonometry, right, and all, all of these things, and they say, I know the day, I know the time when this is going to happen, I will bet you that it's not going to happen that day. Only the Father knows when this will happen, but you and I can know the season, right? Like you and I right now know that winter is coming, correct? Why? Because it's cooling down, right? It, it, it's starting to, to lessen. The days are getting shorter. We know the season that we are in. And so what are the major things that need to happen to usher in the end times? Here's a few things that you and I need to understand as we get ready to jump into Revelation. There's going to be a very compelling and powerful false prophet who leads many astray on a large scale enough to be recognized by the church everywhere. I think we're in a season where truth and untruth can lead people astray very quickly, are we not? We actually live in a time now where it's not, we're not modern, we're not postmodern, we're beyond postmodern, and we're not in a time in our world now where the truth is relative. We are in a time where the truth is irrelevant. Right? We have literal facts that people say, I'm just going to not believe that. You're like, but this is like an undeniable fact about what is going on. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to believe that fact, and I'm going to live my life according to my own facts. So we live in a time when truth is irrelevant, and that is a season where we will be most easily swayed. Right? Because we're just, oh, okay, cool. Like, but that's not true. And the church is going to be yelling and screaming the truth, and it's like, that's irrelevant. I don't really care about what that needs to be. There will be a remarkable and frightening amount of natural and national calamities. Do we see in that a little bit? I mean, we live in Hurricane Alley, right? What do we always hear? They're gonna, the storms are going to be bigger. They may not be more often, but when they come, they're going to be bigger. Look around what's happening in our world right now. Volcanoes are going off. Typhoons are happening. The amount of natural disasters going on in the world is expedited. Not only that, I want you to think about these things as yearnings or growing pains of the earth. When the people of God will not cry out and proclaim him, the rocks will cry out, right? You know, that's funny about that is Jesus is not only talking about that. This is free. Um, He's on the Mount of Olives getting ready to go into Jerusalem. And if you've been on the Mount of Olives going into Jerusalem, that there are graves everywhere. And Jesus says that if you will not worship me, the rocks will cry out. And there are rocks and graves everywhere where Jesus is saying that. And what is he saying? Even the dead will worship me. If the living will not, the dead will. And so what happens here is, so not only that is happening, we're seeing calamities. I mean, if you guys notice, it feels like many of, for many of us, uh, war is imminent. Multiple fronts around the world is coming. There's going to be an unprecedented level of persecution of Christians, along with the intimate, intimate threat of global human extinction. Think about this. Think about where we are, where we're talking about with all of these things going on, persecution within the body of Christ. I know that like you and I think that if we can't say certain things that we're being persecuted, and yes, that is a form of persecution that we are facing, but we are not facing persecution like if you believe we're going to kill you. 
I want to also encourage you guys with one thing. As time gets darker, the church grows faster. You know the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran? Iran. A country dead set against Judaism and Christianity. A country that wants to usher in the coming of the Islamic Messiah by creating chaos in the world. This is where the fastest place in the world that the church is growing. That's incredible. That should give you and I encouragement that even in these hard times, in these days to come, God has a plan for his church and many will come to know him. And then this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Right now, there are organizations like Wycliffe and other translators who are trying to get the Bible in every tribe and tongue so that people can hear the gospel in their own language. Think about the advent of the internet. Think about even just the advent of Starlink and what you can send internet to whole countries from space now. Like what is going on and how God is preparing a time when everyone will have the opportunity to hear. And some of you read this stuff and you hear this stuff and you go, this is scary. Like uh, wars and calamities and natural disasters and all of these things like this is scary. But the book of Revelation is a book of fear not. Fear not. And we're going to see that today. If you have your Bible, let's open up to Revelation chapter 1 as we jumped in to this series. And I want you to see right here that God is going to begin to address that fear immediately. Here we go. Revelation 1 verse 1. I don't normally do this, but this is such a big moment. Could we all stand in honor of the word of God today as it is read this morning as we begin? The revelation from Jesus Christ, that means the unveiling. The unveiling which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. This is interesting. That word servant in the New Testament is translated bond slave, bond servant. What was this? These were people who were freed from slavery by their masters during this time. And they chose to stay with their masters because the people who were with them were so good to them. They said, there's no other place I'd rather be. So this is what Jesus is saying to us, that you and I should want to be in no other place than with him. No other place than with him. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John. This goes back to Old Testament understanding of the angel of the Lord. Who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is important. If you have a pen, underline verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart. What does take to heart mean? Who do what it says. What is written in it because the time is near. Go ahead and take a seat. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to open up the beginning of this revelation and this prophecy. And here's the first point for today's message. We are blessed, not stressed. We are blessed, not stressed. The book of Revelation is the only book that gives a guarantee at the beginning of the book. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed is the one 
who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, who hears the words that are written, and then what? Takes it to heart, does what it says. How many of us read the book of Revelation, and we look at it, and we go, man, that's a book about the future. I don't really know what to do with that. But John says something different. John says it's not just to be read and heard, but we are to live a certain way. And so for you and I, this book is not just going to be answering a bunch of philosophical, metaphysical questions. It's going to be a a book where we look at it and go, how is God calling us to live in light of what is to come? Like this book is practical. This book is not just all of these these theories and all of these these ideas that we can't really grab or comprehend. And so we kind of sit there with our eyes to the heavens, not ready to do what needs to be done. This is the marching orders of God, which he says, look, I'm going to tell you how it ends, but I'm also going to tell you how to live. And so let me ask you in this room, has revelation stirred in you this need to live a certain way? To live like Jesus could return at any moment. Revelation is this book that is about us serving and loving God. Because here's the reality of what Revelation is. It's not only the bow tie that ties the Bible. Revelation is the reverse of Genesis. If you read the book of Genesis, if you're familiar with the creation of the world and how that all began, the the Bible goes like this. Things start great and quickly deteriorate. Things start incredibly well and things go incredibly bad. By chapter three, we're already out of the garden. Three chapters. We couldn't even make it three chapters. Revelation is the opposite. How things are going to go from worst to best. So think about this. God is reversing and renewing and redeeming everything that was lost in Genesis. That's pretty incredible. That what God is saying is, is, look, look, I know things are messed up and I am redeeming and restoring and calling my people back to me. And at the end, what was lost in Genesis will be gained in Revelation. This is a beautiful book. And for you and me who are believers in Jesus Christ, we can look at this moment and go, man, I know that there's some dark things in here, but I've seen God, you do incredible things in darkness. The church in Iran is the fastest growing. I've seen that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you are with me. I know the end of the story. And I know what the enemy meant to kill me. You mean to prosper me. And so whatever you bring, I'm trusting your good and mighty, righteous right hand because what was lost in Genesis is gained in Revelation. And so for you and I, this book is not one to be afraid of, but one to reverently walk into and go, there is great hope that is to come. And so what happens for you and I is, is what are you called to do? We're not just called to wait. Because that's exactly what happens to some of the people who hear what God is going to do. If you know the books, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a group of believers and he gives them some insight into the end times. Right? This is where we find the verses for this thing called the rapture, which we're going to get into later. But in 2nd Thessalonians, Paul has to write back because the people have wrongly applied what Paul said about the end times. Listen to these words, because here is the danger when we make Revelation all about just staring at the sky and waiting for God to come back. Revelation, or sorry, 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3, 
Look at what it says starting in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Paul goes like, look, we were with you telling you about the end times and we were working. We were getting to work. We didn't just say, hey, kumbaya, let's all go on the hill and let's all just stare at the sun. Paul says, when we came to give you the word, you know that we worked among you. You know that we continued to do things. Look at verse 8. He says, nor did we eat anyone else's food without paying for it. People got like this. The Lord's coming back. Who cares? You ever been there? You ever been there in your life? Like, we lost the game. Who cares? Oh, game's over. Who cares? I'm just going to play whatever way I want. I don't really care. I don't really have any effort. I don't have all of these things. Who cares? Who cares what happens? Who cares what goes on? Look at what he says. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model that you are to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. It says you're so lazy and doing nothing. Not only are you not participating, you're actually causing others to have to work harder. Right? We, 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 we know this. He says they are not busy. They are busy bodies. We got some of that going on these days. We got some busy bodies up in everyone's business, hindering everybody. I think social media is the breeding ground for busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So this is Paul's admonition to believers who heard that the end time is coming. And it says this, some of you heard that the game is ending so you've quit being a part of what God has so what does revelation say whoever hears whoever reads aloud these words whoever hears and does what is written gets to work for what God has called us to in this season is blessed so the question for you and I is maybe some of the reason the end times are so stressful for us is because all we're doing is looking to the sky, waiting for the trumpet to blast and waiting for Jesus to return. And Jesus says, I didn't build you to sit here and wait. I built you to be the church to go to the world. Right? We're even going to hear that today. If you can't stay for the meeting about where we're heading in our new location and all of these things, and we're, grow- we're going to a bigger location. Can you tell we might need a bigger location? And so why are we doing that? Why? Because we don't want to be idle. We, if these are the end days, then we need to get to work more. We need to do more. It's time for us to jump into the game because I don't want to just be stressed. I want to be blessed. And God says, whoever does what these words say, who gets to work and participates in my kingdom, they will be blessed. So we got to get to work. But not only that, so that's a danger that you and I look at and go, man, I I, I am scared. And man, I'm not only scared, like the world is so evil. Things are going on that are so bad. I'm just kind of looking to heaven waiting for Jesus to come back. And Jesus is like, get your eyes off the clouds and get your like foot to the plow. Get to work. Church, if we really believe that the end times are here or that they are near, then the time is running out for us to reach our friends and our family. We're running out of time. 
We, we, we need, right, the, the full court press. We need the hurry up offense. We, we need to go. It's time for us to move. Let me use an analogy. If you don't know sports, maybe you know this. When the company's about to arrive, you clean the house really fast, right? <laughs> That's the analogy. You don't just go, oh, you're almost here, so forget it. No, your mom screams at you, right? Freaks out. You're freaked out. And then you're like, and you're just throwing stuff in closets, right? You're just getting ready. It's time to get ready. But here's the reality. Let's continue in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter one, verse four. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from who, who is and who was and who is to come. Does that sound familiar? John is tying us into the Old Testament, right? Who One who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. You're like, that's weird. What does that mean? Don't worry, we'll explain it. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He sets Jesus into authority and says, don't freak out when these false prophets and these false kings, Jesus has this under control. It's okay. To him who loves us, everyone say loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And then it says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. If you know anything about the Greek alphabet, Z, Z is not the end of the alphabet. Omega is. So this is what he's saying. I'm the beginning and the end. Right? I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here's what's really incredible about these next couple of verses. And I, I want to summarize it like this. I'm freaked out. Uh, I'm scared. Uh, I don't know what to do. And, and God says, there's a blessing for you in this. And by the way, verses 4 to 8, I'm all over this. I'm all over this. I'm present in this. We see all three members of the Trinity of God present in this passage. God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. That is God Almighty. Jesus Christ, and then the seven spirits is the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, I thought the Holy Spirit was one spirit. I'm glad that you asked. John is tying in the book of Isaiah, which is promising this great high priest, this one, this suffering servant who is to come. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 to 3 says. The Spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit, will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom of understanding, of counsel, of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and they will delight, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. John says the seven spirits. What he's meaning is this. This is what the Holy Spirit does according to Isaiah 11. And why is the Holy Spirit kind of singled out here a little bit more? Have you ever noticed that when you read Genesis, the Holy Spirit plays a very unique role in creation? Right? He hovers over the earth. He does all of these things. The Holy Spirit, for you and I in the book of Revelation, is going to play a very important role in new creation. You see how this is like a bow? Remember the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament when everything was good and went bad? Well, the same thing is going to happen here from creation now to new creation. 
And many times John is going to say this, in the spirit I saw. In the spirit, I did this. I I turned my head and saw these things. And what he's emphasizing is the very unique and powerful role of the Holy Spirit in the end times. Because we go from creation to new creation. And so he's emphasizing this moment. So what is John saying to you and I in these verses? There's a blessing whoever does these things. There's a blessing whatever goes on in these things. Who hears it, who does it, who understands it. But not only that, I want you to understand this before we get into the weird stuff. God's all over this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is all over what is to come. So we should not fear. Because he loves us. And we said this in the beginning, when we understand that God loves us, we need to understand that this, this word was written to us in love, and love, perfect love, should cast out all fear. Because how many of us need to understand, in this room, God loves you. He cares for you. He knows that the end of days are coming, and he is preparing you. He is equipping you, and by the power of his spirit, he will get you through this. Some of us are so scared of the end days. We're so scared of the end times because we hear things that we feel so unprepared for. But why do you not believe that by the power of God, through the spirit of God, by the word of God, that the grace that you will need to face whatever is coming is not going to enter your life in that moment? Some of us right now say, I could never do that thing. But how many of us have done things that we thought we couldn't before, but the grace of God has entered our life and equipped us and empowered us to get through things? Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're with me. And this is the same promise that you and I need to understand as we go through this moment. We are not alone and we are fully equipped by him. And so some of us need to maybe stop looking at the news and stop looking at all of this stuff and graphs and charts and freaking out and is Russia Magog and is Iran Gog and all of these things and they may, they, they may be. But we look at him and go, man, I don't know. What am I going to do? God's like, nothing. <laughs> Believe and follow. Trust. Get to work. Reach your neighbor. Talk to your kids. Start reading your Bible. I'm doing it. I will get you through this because I love you. Because here's the reality that many of us are going to realize that, that, that things are going to go. Revelation chapter one, verse nine. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that, our, that is ours in Jesus Christ was on the island of Patmos because, the word of, God, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is what John's going to say. I know you guys are suffering, and I know there's going to be some suffering and hard days in the end days, but I'm with you. He says, I'm writing this letter to you from the island of Patmos. Patmos was an island of hard labor where people were expected to die. Right? If we hear about like hard labor that happens in Serbia now where it's so cold you can barely survive. And it's like we're sending you here to do hard labor and we have zero expectation of your survival. John says, I'm writing this letter from that place. So I know because I've been giving the testimony of God and I've been giving the word of God and it ended me here. But I have great hope and joy because of what I'm going through. So understand you're not suffering alone. Here's what this means. 
We will be hated by the world, but we will always be seen by God. And some of us, that freaks us out, right? That, that, that gets us to this place like, I, what, what, what does this mean? What do I do? Let me just read to you what is going on in the world around this time. In fact, the world got so rough on Christians during this time that many believed, and some still do, it's called amillennialism. You don't need to write that down, that Nero, the emperor, was the Antichrist. Nero would find Christians, hang them on crucifixes, douse them in oil and light them on fire to illuminate roads and gardens. Right? This is the kind of stuff that this is being written to these people and this is what John says. Don't worry, you'll be blessed. Don't worry, God's all over this and you may be hated by the world but you will be seen by God. Why did people hate Christians? Because they refused to bow to government over God. Right? They did not worship Caesars or emperors as gods. They would not bow down and worship an emperor in saying that you are God. They said, no, we worship one God, the true God. And we don't bow down to this. Does it seem like we may be in a time in the world where this is expected of us? Maybe not here yet. But there are places in the world that if you don't bow down and worship and do everything that the government says or a leader says, you're dead. How about this? The Christians were considered unholy because they didn't bow down in the pantheon to all the other gods. So not only do they not bow down to emperors, they would go to the pantheon. If you've been to Rome, you've been in it. It's a large, huge pagan temple. And the Christians in Rome refused to stand up and go in there and say, I'm going to just start to worship all of these Roman gods. And so everyone thought, you're the unholy ones. Think about us now. What gods and culture are we not bowing down to and worshiping right now as believers in Jesus Christ And the world goes, you are unholy. You won't bow down to this identity. You won't bow down to this ideology. You won't bow down to these things. You're unholy. Do not see this happening in the world that, that we are looked at as hateful, that we are looked at as all of these things. And look, it happened to them. How about this? They were despised socially because they were lower class many, and they taught that all people were equal. All people are equal. Every human being on this planet is made in the image of God. And so every human being on this planet, whether born or unborn, has dignity value because they are made in the image of the creator God. And so what happens is they go, we don't have poor and rich. Yes, you may have more money and I may have less, but that doesn't, make, that doesn't equate to my dignity. What equates to my dignity is that every person is made in the image of God. And when we as people lose image of God, Terrible things happen. Terrible things have happened throughout American history, world history, where we begin to see people as less than because they're different than. And what Christians said in the early church was, rich, poor, slave, free, Roman, non-Roman, Jew or Gentile, we're the same. We're equal. And people hated that. Why? Because we all want to feel better than somebody, don't we? Because in an economy where God creates everyone equally and everyone's an image bearer, the enemy says, you're better, so you need to push them down in order to elevate yourself. If you ever have to push other people down to elevate yourself, you've got it wrong. 
the moment you have to destroy somebody else to make yourself better, you're not really growing up. You're just pounding people down. And that's not true leadership and that's not true strength. And so what we get to now is they have this economical threat because the Christians wouldn't bow down to all of these people and do all of these things. All of the false idol worship and all of the false like sacrifices that were to be given, the Christians didn't participate. And let me just tell you something. If you mess with people's money, they're messing with you, right? If you mess with my money, you're messing with me. And that's exactly what Christians did. So they were hated in the culture because it's like, yeah, I'm not going to buy this to go make a sacrifice in the pantheon because I don't worship those gods. I worship the one true God. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that here. And it's like, okay, you were annoying. Now you're really ticking me off because now my pocket is less full because you won't just pay up and shut up. Do we feel that way in our current culture? Remember, we're in a season. Are, are the beginnings of the, the, the fig tree beginning to sprout new leaves? And we go, man, it seems like we might be in this season. Then finally it was this. They thought that the Roman gods were punishing the Romans because they, the Christians would not worship them. And so they were blamed for natural disasters. Why did that happen? Because the Christians... They're worshiping Jesus and not Zeus and not this guy and not this guy. They're just worshiping this one God. And so the other gods are mad and now they're punishing us. By the way, the church has had this problem too. We have blamed everybody else for everything else. But the reality is, is that in a world where the Christians were having trouble These were the reasons that they were hated. And maybe not all of these things, but I think we can somewhat identify. Can we not? And if the letter ended here, it's pretty abysmal. It's like, uh, so what do we do? This is awful. And this is how many of us approach this. It's going to be awful. It's going to be terrible. I'm going to die or someone's going to die. This is going to happen. I'm going to be poor. I'm going to do all these things. And man. And God says, like, don't worry. There's still 21 chapters, okay? Don't freak out. Some of us are closing the book before we get to the end. Anyone ever been there? A book is so scary. You're in the middle of the book or, or you're in the middle of the story and it's so abysmal and it's so hard and it's all of these things and you're like, I can't, I can't take any more of this. I'm shutting the book. How many of us have gone, oh, this chapter, what? Okay, I'm, done. I'm good. I'm good. I'm gonna stop here. I can't do this. But here's what's incredible about this story. We all rag on the seven churches that are going to come up in chapter 2 and chapter 3. But here's the reality. The church brings hope in the darkness. And this is what Jesus is going to say. Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 to 21. This is longer. So let's just lean in. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Right? There it is. In the spirit. And I heard behind, from behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Here's what we need to do. The number seven in the Bible is a number of completion. Okay? It means complete. Like a week is how many days? Complete. The number three in the Bible is a number of perfection. All the people in here that you have to end everything on an even number, that freaks you out. 
Okay, but the number three is the number of completion in the Bible. So already we're getting some numbers in here. Okay, what does this mean? The seven, we're going to get into this in a second. I'm going to ruin it, but here we go. The seven lampstands, the things that are seen, this, these golden lampstands represent the seven churches. And so what is Jesus saying to us through the inspiration to John? This is for the whole church. Not just these church, this is for everybody. So here's where he begins to go into this. I turn around and he sees this. He sees these seven lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the son of man. He goes, I saw Jesus. He looks a lot like Jesus. I think this is Jesus in all of his glory. And he says, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. So it's this huge robe with a golden sash around his chest. I'm going to explain what all of this means here in just a second. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. You're like, this is getting weird. But all of this means something. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. He's like, I'm out, right? Like he's like, I'm going home. That's why I always get like a little weirded out with people. And when they say, I saw Jesus, I was like, what happened? And they're like, "Um, I just saw him. It was really powerful. And I'm like, Paul goes blind. Uh, John basically thinks he's dead and falls over. (laughs) And you're like, you had a cool moment. Okay. (laughs) Cool. Just seems different. Okay. Just seems you're strong. I don't know. John's like, I'm dead. <laughs> Even Isaiah, when he sees God, he's like, woe is me. I'm dead. I'm a man of unclean lips. Everyone who encounters the God falls down like they're dead at the holiness of God. And yet we have all these people telling us that they got a message from God. And it was really cool. We might need to weigh this out. One thing is not like the other. Okay. That might be my favorite verse. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. (laughs) He didn't even try to like, oh, it was cool. He just like, I died basically. Okay. Then he placed his right hand on me. Could you imagine how scary that would be? (laughs) Oh, I think I'm dead, right? And this is what he says. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. Referencing the Alpha and the Omega. This is referencing the divinity of Jesus. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands is this. Jesus is like, I'm going to start to help you understand because this is going to get a little weird. The seven stars are the angels. Another word for that, angelos, is the word in Greek, means messenger. Okay? Of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus goes, I want to make clear that those lampstands is this complete group of the seven churches and the angels are the messengers that are going to be bringing this. So don't think of, never do we have churches bringing divine messages to angels. Because he tells them, tell the angels this. It's the opposite of what goes on. So what does he mean? There's messengers coming. This is what's going on about what is to come. But here's the reality of what all of this is. 
Why do you have seven lampstands? Because seven lampstands light up the darkness. That's exactly what it is, that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are to hold the light of Christ in our life. And in this present darkness, we are to shine. We are to be the light on a hill. We are to be those people who say, I know that all of this is freaking you guys out. Us too, we just have a hope that is unattainable apart from Jesus Christ. And so we are going to be exactly who we are. We we are going to be exactly who we are called to be, and we are going to shine light in the darkness. I said shine light, not scream light, like so many Christians want to do. We think that people hear us while we scream in their face. Can we just live like the church, and then the message of the church will make sense because we're being the church? The time is short, guys. We have to get this. Here's what begins to happen. As Jesus is described as being there with this long sash and the sash going across his robe, this is what Jesus is being described as. He is our great high priest. What does that mean? He is the one who died for our sin. He is the great high priest. He is the fulfillment of prophet, priest, and king. He is our savior, and he is the great high priest. And we know that the great high priest is so important because not only does the great high priest live like us, but he also sympathizes with us. But not only that, we have this white hair that is described on Christ's head, which means what? That he is described like the ancient of days in the Old Testament. The ancient of days would be God the Father. What John is saying is not only Jesus our high priest, he is God. He is God. I'm just using the same terms to describe Jesus as God. And so when we believe and know that Jesus is with us, it is God with us. We do not need to fear for it is God who is with us. When he's holding all of these things in his right hand, it does not mean that he's lifting them up, it is a sign of control. It is a sign of, guys, this is not out of my privy. This is not out of control. I am still holding everything in my right hand. And when the Bible talks about Jesus' eyes blazing like fire, it means that he truly sees what is in here. And when it says that his feet were like bronze, which were ablaze, that imagery there was of a king, and a king would sit, and the feet of a king became a moment and an image of power, because how would a king do anything? It was at, you would sit at his feet, and it was a sign of judgment. This is what he's saying. He's saying, he is as good, he is wise, he is our high priest, he is holy, and he is a righteous judge. You're like, man, he's got eyes of fire. He's got all this stuff. And then it says what? And then it says, and out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. And you go, okay, what is that? I'm freaked out. What does that mean? It's God's protection. Because out of his mouth, God speaks. And what else would that represent? His word. This is what he's saying. In Hebrews, it says that the word of God is like a double-edged sword, which pierces us to the very marrow of our bone. But what else you and I need to understand, according to John, is that the word of God protects us. The word of God protects us. It is our refuge and our strength. Here's an image, maybe, for you. You guys don't know this young man uh, in our church, but this young man has a very dangerous job. He's been in places like Iraq. He's been in places like... Ukraine recently. 
He's been in places around the world where some of the worst things are happening. A young lady in our church recently gave this man a Bible. He has been struggling with his faith. He's seen the greatest evils of the world. When you're in places like I just described, you're seeing the worst of us. And because of that, his faith was beginning to dwindle. I got the opportunity to pray with this uh, individual a few weeks ago. And he came up to me, and we talked about uh, what, what, what is the dollar menu thing that you need to give? And he came up to me and said, I need to give my life. I need to tell you a story. Oh, tell me your story. He said a young lady in our church gave him a Bible and said, like, just pleaded, like, please take it. Please, you know, please read it. Please do this. And so he, he thought, like most of us, like, who, whatever. Okay, okay, just stop asking. And he put the Bible in his arm pocket on his shirt. And while he was on this deal, he was shot in the arm, in the Bible. And it should have gone through his arm into his chest because he has no plates here. And it should have double-lunged him and killed him. And the Bible stopped the bullet. Now, does that mean if you hold a Bible around you all the time, nothing's going (laughs) to happen to you? No, but here's the image. The word of God for us, protects us. Protects your marriage. Protects your kids. Protects your greed. Protects all of these things. It, it, it has a way of a hedge. And so the question is, is, man, why are we avoiding this book if we understand that it is protection? Which one of us will need to remember the words that God says. So I entitled today's message, Fear Not. And here's why we fear not. I, I want to go back to verse 13. Let's see what it, look at what it says. As John is receiving this image of the seven churches and the lampstands and all of these things, I want you to go back to verse 13. And among the lampstands was someone like the son of man, like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. I want you to understand something. What is the imagery that Revelation 113 gives us? That the son of man is amongst the churches. He's not standing outside of them. The Bible describes it as he is standing in the center of them. And so why do you and I fear not? According to Revelation chapter 1 verse 13, we fear not because God is with us. And that's the exact image for you and I of Revelation 1.13. He is not separate from the churches. He is amongst them. And what that means is I'm with you. So how do we make this practical? Because you're like, this is way far out there. You are not separated from the churches. As believers in Jesus Christ, why do we believe and hold against this hope that God is not with you? And maybe you're not experiencing some of the things that we're going to experience and, and see in the book of Revelation. But would we not believe that God is with you while your marriage is in trouble? Would we not believe that God is with us while our finances are a mess? Would we not believe that God is not with us when we face persecution in our life and in our workplace? Would we not believe that God is with us when when we suffer because of the memory of our past? Would we not believe that God is with us in the future that we are so scared of? That he is with you. And the book of Revelation says, fear not, for I am with you. And so as we continue in this series, that is the heart cry of us. That is the heart cry that that we remember that through all of this, we must never lose perspective that God is with us.
We talked about Peter walking on the water last week, right? And in the moment that he turned his head from Jesus to the storm, he sank. How do we, in this moment, remember that God is with us? By his word. And so some of us need to write Revelation 1, 13 on our mirror. We need to write it on the front of our Bible. We need to put it, don't put it over the speed part, but maybe the RPM part of your car, right? But like, (laughs) put it somewhere because he is with us. So fear not. Whatever you're facing, fear not. For he is with us and he is the ancient of days. And so as we get ready to kind of kick off this series and go into this cool moment, we're going to talk about the future. I think that there's only one appropriate way for you and I to celebrate this. Danielle's going to come up and going to sing a song. But before we sing this song, communion is going to be coming around. And so if you'll stick with me for just a few minutes, we're going to pass out communion to all of you so that you can 